cannot catch a virus. Well, back at it again, boys. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Let your mind peel away the mysteries of the world. That's right. I'm talking deep. Frazzle drift deep. This is Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies Podcast. Oh, by the way, my balls is hot. 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies podcast. I am Big Country, one of your hosts, as always, on the other end of the mic, your other two favorite hosts for this evening. Yeah, boy. And Chris. And before I introduce tonight's guest, because we're so excited he's on the show, hope you got your babbles with you. Um, <laughs> Just to let all the truth hooligans know that we still do have a GoFundMe that's live right now. Hashtag fund the hooligans trying to get some new mics for the show to really upgrade before we release the Patreon at the end of the year. So stay tuned for that. If you want information on that, you can check it out on our Instagram. The description for that is in uh, the description of the Instagram. So check that out. Also, check out our website, WBconspiracies.com. Some big news is coming very soon. But tonight's guest, holy hell, irony. That word is. We have Nathaniel Gillis on the show with us tonight, a demonologist. I don't know why we're like, yeah, let's get this guy on the show. This is this is a terrible idea. So, Nate, man, thanks so much for being on the show. Man, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be with you. Awesome. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into doing what you're doing, and you have a new book out. It's out for pre-ordering. Yes, yeah. sir. The skin that crawl. The skin that crawl. Is that, is that a Slipknot album? What is going on here? <laughs> exactly right. That's one of those Ozzy Osbourne throwbacks. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah right. No. Um, yeah, the skin that crawls is out for pre-order, and um, I'm going to be adding more research to it because I found more victimology regarding the incubus in the Middle Ages, which we'll get to later oh, on. Yeah. It's it's going to be a game changer. You know, they've been doing the same thing. For millennia, we just never really saw it. Right. But um, yeah, so I got started in this field after growing up in a haunted house. Um, so it was actually the open house before we even purchased it that I saw my very first full bodied apparition. Oh, jeez. How, how old were you at this time? Eight. All right. I always say eight and a half because okay. when I think about how old I always told people I was eight and a half when I was right. Eight. Right. You know, <laughs> well, that half matters when you're when you're eight. Yeah. You know, it is, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we were at the open house. My dad kind of was showing me around just the home, and he led me by the hand into my future room, and he said, "Just take a look around." He said, "This is going to be where you're going to be staying." He said, "Figure out where you're going to put your gaming system. Look where you're, you know. Figure out where you're going to put your bed." So they, they left me in the room by myself, and um, I remembered as I was walking into the room, I was met with a rancid stench. Um, m- most people who've encountered that 
smell would describe it as uh, decomposition. Mm-hmm. Like there was a dead body in the house somewhere. Chris, uh, Chris might, might know a little bit about that. <laughs> I'm very familiar Uh-oh. with that, that dead body <laughs> smell. It's not something mm-hmm. that is not pleasant. Bad. And once you smell that, you can never unsmell it. Uh, and it's so definitely. familiar to you that there's things that trigger it and it comes back to you. And it's that death. It is horrible uh-huh. decay. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. My skin, my skin's crawling <laughs> right now. But, yes, sir. You know it. And it's that, you know, it's almost like the stench of disincarnate consciousness that is just present. So um, I'm looking around and I'm just poking around to open up the closets. And for some reason, I was drawn to the bed. I was in the room. I knelt down and to my utter demise, I had pulled the flap of the little blanket up oh. and was greeted face to face with the full bodied apparition of a you all right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right over here like, oh, my God. Uh, it was a little girl, and it's very interesting, beautiful. I mean, just beautiful little girl. She was uh, pale in complexion. She had long black hair. Mm-hmm. She was wearing a white linen dress that looked to be made in the turn of the century. Um, when she saw me, I kind of reacted to her. And then she scurried her little body all the way back to the oh, wall. Shit. Did she meow too? Fuck. No. Okay. Oh, my God. You know, as if, yeah, I mean, it was already pretty creepy, but she wow. pushed her body as far as far away as she could from me. And so that was the very first onset of what would prove to be um, a very, I would say a very profound haunting. The entity in that house would manifest in different ways. There were shadow figures. Mm-hmm. I was playing a video game one night and saw movement out of my right eye in the corner of my right eye. I looked over and there was a seven foot shadow figure staring oh at me uh, from the window. And the next day it was the winter. It was winter time. It was a school year or school uh, season weather. And so I got up about seven forty five. Go outside and I see footprints. Oh, outside oh, of my window. Shit. And you know, kid, <laughs> I'm trying to rationalize this, right? Because right, there's right. no way for me to fit that into the blueprint of my worldview. But um, you know, I, I experienced a whip, wispy, smoky apparition that would just kind of float <laughs> itself into my room, um, and it would just hover in a cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh. that was my introduction to this field. But um, I mean, it's it's a fascinating subject. But yeah, that's that's how I got started. And Nathaniel, did you did you tell your your parents about this? And what was their? Shut up, go play. Or <laughs> well, something like that. Um, you know, my dad was working a first shift. Yeah, so he was getting up at like four thirty five in the morning. My mother was working, I think it was two jobs at the time. They were just trying to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. And so here you have an eight, eight nine-year-old kid who's constantly pulling his mattress into your room at night, waking you up, constantly talking about shadows. And yeah. you know, it was a difficult time for us all. But the teacher is always silent when the test is being taken. Right. And so I realized even that at that young age that whatever was happening to me was also happening for me. And that I had two choices. I could either run from it or I could I could face it and right. try to understand it for what it was. And so I began to kind of brainwash myself into thinking maybe I'm afraid of this entity because I don't altogether understand it. Sure. You know, that's 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 incredible <laughs> you know? for an eight year old to rationalize that. Because my first reaction would have been fear it and continue to fear it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Pack your shit. You're right. Yeah. You know, it would, but it would feed on it. 
Right. And that's at that age, um, it would also seclude me. So check this out. It wasn't just the apparitions. It wasn't the stench of a decomp. It wasn't the shadow figures. Um, there were nights when I would wake up and I would just come to consciousness and I'd look around and I would hear a full-blown conversation going on above my head. Wow. But I could not understand what they were saying. I knew they were talking to each other, mm-hmm. but I was never able to discern what they were uh, talking about. So then the conclusion of my introduction to this field were the nightmares that I suffered from. The nightmares were always the same. They were always the same blueprint and pattern. They were always in black and white. Mm-hmm. That nightmare consisted of me floating um, into a park where they would have like a reservoir where people would have birthday parties, family reunions. And I saw two young men sitting on a picnic table. Same dream for months. Wow. Like there was nothing that changed. It's crazy. But um, I would make eye contact with one of the gentlemen. You know, specifically, the guy on the right would look at me, nod his head, and he had a needle in his left arm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, guys, I was so young. I didn't know what drug addiction right. was. Right. Right. <clears throat> and so he kind of really didn't pay any attention to me. The other guy to the left of him turned around, looked at me, and he had this sinister grin, something that you would see out of a horror movie. And he just grinned at me, pulled out a black 357 Magnum, oh. stuck it in his mouth, and told the Jesus truth. Jesus Christ. When I would wake up from that nightmare, I would wake up and there would be a presence around me, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. But if I could see it, I knew it had to be right <clears throat> in my face at the time. So that was – wow. It was. Uh, it was. Intense. Are you? Yeah. Um, are Are you able to lucid dream now, being older? Do you have that ability? Yes. Okay. Sometimes waking. Dreams. So really? it's so interesting because I was just talking to my wife earlier that there's five different sleep patterns that m- most people can do, and the most common one is you sleep for six to eight hours, and then you're up for sixteen to eighteen, and then you repeat that. So I had a discussion with a coworker that there was a article I had read, I believe in men's health when they were asking, how do these ancient philosophers, how, how did they have so much time to do all these great things? And part of it was their sleep schedule. Basically, if you took six 20 minute naps every day, 20 to 30 minute naps every day, you would feel the exact same as if you did, if you slept for eight hours. And as I'm reading this article today with my wife, um, they talk about how you would have the ability to lucid dream, to be able to basically control yourself in your dream. Um, and, and I was curious about if you had that ability now and if, if you've evolved into that or if that was something that you had just... Uh, <laughs> I think that was a projection of its consciousness. I think that, um, and I don't know how deep you guys want me to get. Can I get like Dude, real deep? Oh, no, you get as get as deep as you can. We uh, constantly oh. stay in a rabbit hole. I haven't been out for like ten years. That's cool, <laughs> and I'm brand new to the rabbit hole, so I was freaking out all week long. So, but I'm, I'm ready. Let's Safer go. Swim. Let's go, bro. So I think that what I was experiencing was a projection of consciousness. I do believe that that entity uh, was either reliving a memory with me. Mm. Mm. right Mm -hmm. where it's trying to communicate in a very infantile or some form of language to me uh maybe it was saying you know this is my story can i tell Uh, you a little bit about why i'm here why i can't transition um you know there were many ideas that i had but 
I, I, I have visions and I go into trances. I've had mm-hmm. trances that, that are on set. Like I'll have somebody who, cause I, I do like consultations with people. Right. Um, I had a family that came to me about their two daughters who were having uh, paranormal activity in their home. They lived in two separate homes, right? The daughters did. Mm-hmm. But wow. I went into a trance and when I go into trances, I do not remember names. I don't remember names. I don't remember events. I just, I black out. Okay. And so as I'm talking to the mom, I'm talking about within 10 minutes of being on the phone with the person. Instantly, I go into a trance. I saw this incubus entity oh. uh, going through. As an obviously, an incubus is a, a spirit that always comes in the form of a male. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, I saw this entity walking through a hallway. There were two rooms on the right, and I, I saw what he saw through his eyes. Oh. Um, where I saw the one of the girls had a ring on her finger, and I saw it laying like this as she was laying down and you know sleeping at night oh my God. and i knew how so this guy i get chill so watch this is nuts and you guys can i haven't put her on instagram because it's not i don't want to do that right right sure, right. sure. It's a story to tell but i will give you a little bit of idea what happens uh so as i'm talking to the mother and the father um there was an apparition that came to my left side <laughs> his name was dan he stunk i knew he, he i knew he smoked but he had bad body odor and he had a mustache, a real cheesy mustache. Like like Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually he was pretty gnarly. He was a little like misshapen and stuff, you know. See, he recognizes this is Tom Selkis. <laughs> this this right? guy was all like this. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> we had a wonky mustache. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But so I asked the wife, I said, This man is a rapist. Who is he? She oh said, my That's God. my ex husband. Oh, oh my God. God. My now, God. Very interesting. I said, okay. I said, because these entities are attracted to trauma mm-hmm. and that's how they, it's like a void. It's they, they, they don't, not only do they penetrate physical voids in their victims, but they also penetrate emotional voids. Right. And right. so I said, your daughter, your youngest daughter was molested recently. I saw it. Wow. Uh, and the mom starts crying. She goes, oh my God, I can't believe this. And so I'm talking to the father which obviously he's the stepfather. Right, right. Stepfather. And I said, okay. I said, but I said, in your home, there has been a lack of authority and communication between you and this young woman. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's what's about to happen. I said, you have a certain chair that you sit in. Check. Yes. You have a fireplace right next to it with like, um, not marble, but it was like rock. Okay. Right. I said, okay. I said, she's going to sit next to you on the couch. Right, cut a corner. Your wife's going to hold her hand. She's going to tell you how she was somewhere and she got molested. Mm -hmm. And that entity has been using that void in her as a means to consent. And when that happens, that entity will no longer have authority over her. Oh, wow. 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 Right, right. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. That young girl is a college, college student. She went to a party where a man just pulled her into another room and, and raped her. Wow. When that entity was exposed, it no longer had authority. Mm. Paranormal activity stopped. And now you, but see, it, it's going through the case studies and seeing their victimology, right? right? Yeah. You have to think of these entities as serial killers. Right. Right. Yeah. Predators. Right. <clears throat> So yeah, predators. Absolutely. Wow. I've uh, I, I've heard you say that uh, on a few interviews that we have listened to and in leading up for this show. Yeah. 
that you speak of these entities as serial killers. Um, so basically, on the, the the easiest way for somebody not in this field to understand it is they're psychopaths, right? Um, they're psychopaths. They have a different morality. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: um, Are you are you a religious person? Um, to a degree, I grew up in Christianity. My dad's a pastor. Um, I'm a religious. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I know that's a cliche. Um, you know, I, I've studied theology and everything, but I don't. I'm not like a practicing Christian. Okay, right, right. In terms of you know, I. I I have my own thing going, and it's kind of difficult to define. Sure, I, I, I I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I completely understand where yeah. you're coming from. Um, quick question about you know the way possession or paranormal activity happens. So, does there have to be? Because obviously, I mean, I'm not sure uh, when you were a child and you were experiencing these things. Um, was it just the house itself, or was there some sort of trauma you had experienced that brought these on? Well, I think that their victimology is very unique in and of themselves. Okay, mm-hmm. to answer your question specifically, I think that that entity knew that there were certain things that I was given. Okay. And I wouldn't call it giftings, sometimes the curses, but I could feel things. I was okay. Scared. And so I believe 100% that they wanted me to die young so that they, that they would not have to deal with whatever I was going to be researching right. in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because because that's kind of what I was getting to is, is, is it, you know, not necessarily a trauma, but do they recognize these things in certain people? Oh, and yeah. that's why these things take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's that's one reason. Okay. Right? Yeah, one of many, I'm sure. Right. Yes, sir. Um, one really dramatic part of their victimology. It, it's very interesting, and I think that modern demonologists, it's, it's they've eclipsed us in mm-hmm. many of our researchers and in, in, in everything they're doing. So, so watch this. In the um, the 11th century, we have a possession, what's called a debook possession. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are not what people call it Dybbuk. Yeah. Right. It's just possession in the 16th century province in Israel. Anyways, there was an 11 year old boy and I don't tell the story on some shows because some shows it's like, you know, it's everywhere. And some shows, even though, even though they are larger or smaller, a lot of people right. don't want to hear it. Right. So it's going to be a very interesting part of their victimology. Anyways, the entity had possessed an 11 year old boy. And when the 11-year-old boy was taken to the exorcist, they were interrogating the entity within, and the entity was a pedophile in his previous life. Wow. He was embodied. Mm-hmm. And they said, so, you know, what led you to, to possess him? He said, well, he said his father took him to an apple orchard where he picked an apple from a tree, and it was in that apple orchard at that very same tree that I committed my first act. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, so again, this gets very dark, but it has to be uh, talked about. So what had happened was he absolutely committed the same act with that 11 year old as he did in life. Right. Okay. So what we're dealing with are entities that have transcended the microcosm of what we would know to be spirits. They're Mm. physical there's actual tearing of flesh. Oh. There are actual semen samples left. Oh, my God. Wow. They are collected. They have been collected ever since even the 15th, 14th centuries. 
And from what we can tell, they have been milking the deceased carcasses in graveyards, reanimating mm-hmm. them through possession, using that as a means to procreate. Wow. And that's that's the technology. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. That's incredible. Um, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Okay. I'm going to need more beer. Um, I picked a bad year to quit drinking. I, I, I swear to God. You said that on the I last said, episode, too. Uh, Jesus, man. It's, um, I'm telling you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, so so do, they, do, they in, do they go after these uh, bodies in graveyards because they're easy pickings? And, and are we... You know, the living the living body, is that their ultimate goal? Yes. They're, okay, their ultimate goal is to create a body that looks like their apparition. Okay, okay. Right. Because yeah. it's not transient possession. Possession, it's almost as if um, we're dealing with, it's almost like a, a form of indoctrination <clears throat> where we have what I call and what um, medieval demonologists call larva. Mm-hmm. Early forms of life in transient possession. So we have our entities who are disembodied, who it's almost as if when we have possession cases that's transient, where you'll have someone speaking Latin, um, that entity's not there for a long period of time, certainly mm-hmm. not for a, a lifetime, but it's almost as if it's learning how to restretch his own consciousness into skin again. Right, right. Now, that is the early form of life that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. The second serial killer pathology here, it's not transient possession. Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to possess someone or create a social skin is what anthropologists call it. But this time I want the body to look like who I was. Right. That's right. Yeah. So they no longer have a, their own corpse to reanimate. It's decomposed. So now what they're going to do is, um, you know, create another another body that looks like their apparition. Right. Wow. And and comes the procreation where they're finding semen samples that that because, I mean, for 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 a layman. Right. For for someone who who hasn't been studying demonology, um, you, you see the TV shows and, and things like that. And that's pretty much. I think the general population's extent of, you know, possession and things like that. Um, but finding out these things, man, it makes me want to look into it a little more I don't. <laughs> from my point of view, because this, no, well, this is, but it's just like he's saying the victimology. Cause I, I feel like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like we looked at the possession itself for so long before yeah. we started recognizing the victimology and it's kind of, pushed all of this forward you know similar 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 to chris you would know uh if you're interviewing a victim of any kind right say domestic abuse victim victimology from case to case is pretty similar very much so very much so you see the same the same people saying the same things and experiencing similar you know situations where they found themselves you know taking people back you know they're beating them three or four different times you're going to the same you know it happens over and over again and they're still taking the abuse yeah so that point of view from the victim or they leave one one person and then go to that someone similar it's exactly the same similar so it's incredible to look at possession from that standpoint because it opens up so many other doors. So these oh these these people that go out or these uh, demonic 
possessors, they're going out and they're looking for the same kind of victim over and over again because they know those are the ones that are vulnerable. They know that that's where they can go and they get their, their negative energy that yeah. they can feed off of to keep keep their motives and, and alternative goals going. So it's just, ugh. That's crazy. Man. The, the behavioral pattern is is alarming. I mean, I think that it's something that if we do not understand fully, if we are not prepared enough to look at it, <laughs> Instead of running from it, if we're if we're not there where we mm-hmm. should be as researchers, we're going to miss a, a moment where we could really learn a lot. Yeah. Not just from them, because we are we're learning a lot from them about the afterlife, mm-hmm. uh, but learning about them in general. Um, so so let's get back to their victimology. According to your possession cases, ninety six ninety six percent of your possession cases are male and female possessions. Okay. Why? Right? Why <laughs> is it that in the 16th century, what's called the age of the demoniac, that it was physical sexual penetration, that was their modus operandi, physical penetration, and then spiritual possession? It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so does, so- that, does that go into from the, the control, you know, men by controlling a woman you know, penetrating them. And, and then it gets in. Then once you've done that, you can, you're all the way into them, into their spirit and then take possession of them fully. Right. Plus it's an, an, an added trauma also. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You're carving <laughs> another scar. Right. Yeah. And, and so, but the victimology here is it's absolutely psychopathic. Yeah. yeah. There's no ins and buts about it. But so, so in the 16th century, um, it wasn't just, possession that was occurring but they saw possession as pregnancy okay okay now one researcher of the deep book phenomenon her name is tamar alexander tamar alexander writes about a girl who was possessed by her deceit her boyfriend's deceased girlfriend his ex oh wow yeah yeah so she goes to the exorcist the exorcist does his ritual come to find out it's the deceased ex-girlfriend and the entity is in her womb in the fetal position. Whoa. Now, this goes back to something that really raised my eyebrows. To me, I always believed early in my career, I thought, man, you know, I thought that, that the sexual pathology was always about pleasure to, to these entities. You know, mm-hmm. when, you know, it's the act of passionate eroticism. And then when the moment's gone, you know how fleeting it is and, Everything's and it's all over. Yeah, that was never the case. Uh, it was always about penetration, possession, and pregnancy. Oh my god! I'm not just creating. See, I'm not just seducing the woman for passionate lovemaking. Mm-hmm. I'm in the mind of the entity. My 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 end game here is nothing of that. I don't care about any of that. What I want is to make her consent or get her into a place where she's willing to take the deceased seed that I've taken from other right, right. To be willing to accept it. Wow. That's their MO. So so that that led me into researching more of okay, you know, what what were they creating in the womb? Right. Because is it is it consciousness crawled up in the fetal position? Um, you know, is it an actual fetus? <clears throat> and it was. <laughs> what they were 
doing is they will implant the seed, grow the child, kill the child, and then place other consciousness in it. Jesus Christ. So now it's born like us. Right. It doesn't have to learn new languages. Think about this. It's amazing. I've been thinking about this recently. See, possession means this. When we have somebody who goes out there and let's say it's an old lady, she has her own language preference, Mm -hmm. right? Her, Her intellect is limited to her memory. Right. Right. And so there's a blueprint that that entity has to follow in order for it never to be seen so mm-hmm. it can blend in right 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 let's think of it now in a baby what does it have to do <laughs> it doesn't have to do a thing no all it has to do is grow jeez and so now we have we don't have men that look like monsters we have monsters that look like men absolutely who who are who's whose intellect and morality and victimology is still in that other dimension. Yeah. Think about Honey, that. I'm going to need you to go pick up some whiskey. Thanks. <laughs> but so, when you place the... Di- I'm, I'm random. No, 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 no. no, no. I tell you, it's, it's, this, this is great. So, so the physical serial killers that we see in our world, right? You know, the the Jeffrey Dahmers and and the, the, these, do you believe that the these people are, yeah, do you believe that these people are products of, of possession in the womb? I think that it's a very good question. Here's something that's, that, that, that grieves me. Because I've been researching serial killers, and I have—I was on the Moore show not too long ago, earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And he's been working with the BTK killer. Oh, personally, like just you Blind know, kill. Right. talking to him. Exactly right. So that's his behavioral pattern. He'll never not do that. Exactly. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. What I told him was something that, when I realized it, it horrified me, and I. We got to realize that when we're dealing with serial killers, not not people who are legit crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, like for right. lack of a better term, sure. right? Uh, but people who um, could have their own family would never touch their own family, but they'll yep. touch uh, right? Exactly. Charles Cohen, right. yeah. Charles right. Cohen, and, uh, but BTK himself. Yeah, you know, he, BTK, yeah. he lived in other wor- an otherwise normal life right. besides when he became BTK. <laughs> exactly right. But what I realize is that when you're talk- talking to them, I need you to picture something. Because on my trailer on uh, Instagram for my book, the very end of it, there's an apparition. It's not a real apparition, mind you, right. but it is a pictorial tradition of possession where you can see the pers- looking, person looking at you. Mm-hmm. And then there's a second face looking at you like this. Right. I'm about to – this is going to get very chilling. That is what happens when we talk to serial killers. You'll be talking to him, and then every few seconds – Think about the imagery here. Mm-hmm. That true entity is going to look around, make eye contact with you, wow. and then come back. Oh, around. my God. You know, most of the time when, when <laughs> you know, law enforcement is interviewing these people, and I'm sure you've seen it, Chris, uh, there's – they always mention, like, didn't look the same, you know, uh, or, or the victims themselves, surviving victims. They say, that person isn't the person that I saw, although it is, you know, but they don't look the same. Um, or, you know, mug shots and things like that. They don't look the same to family pictures. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah there's a different that's, morality. <laughs> Arthur Shawcross, Arthur Shawcross, his whole victimology was blood. Yeah. 
if you look at his interview on YouTube, he says blood is blood. Yeah. So, so let's let's get back into the incubus. The incubus in the Middle Ages was called the larva. It was larva. Mm-hmm. Its victimology was infants. Wow. So much so, and again, what right? What I was telling you guys before it is easier for them, right? Mm-hmm. You can kill it in the womb, slide consciousness in it, and it's born amongst us. Wow. Or yeah. you can do what the UFO abduction phenomenon is, mm-hmm. which is place sperm in a ba- uh, in a womb, pull the baby out. Wow. They're linked. Mm, yeah. And, 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 and seeing that's a, it's interesting. You mentioned that because you hear pretty often, I mean, Alex Jones said, I don't know how many times um, you hear a lot of people who take uh, psychedelics, specifically DMT. And they mention that they, and it seems like they always have one of two reactions to a psychedelic and it's either they feel something completely evil and they they say they recognize demons or what they would claim to be demons, and uh, then people have the opposite effect where they say they feel they feel God or they feel an angel, something benevolent. Um, but some might describe them as an alien, right? right. And uh, so that was that was something I've heard you discuss before. Is and- it just alien because it's foreign? You think, and there's no other way to to yeah. describe it. I mean, because our we we know so little about how to really touch the tip of our brains and how do we handle information. So anything that's foreign to us, we tend to reach out for that alien or demonic or angel, you know, we are very limited in our ability to define things, I think. So I think that that's part of it. People grasp for aliens because it just seems foreign and that's what it is easiest justification for something. You're exactly right. And so that's what happened in biblical antiquity. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, their, their demons were diseases. They right. were, you know, it was famine, right? Like their demon's going to wipe out all my crops. They were just, you know, working vocabulary at that period of time for whatever it is they didn't understand. And so they would just assign blame to whoever they thought deserved mm-hmm. it. Right. You know, it's an alien. Well, you know, it, it, again, that's why the behavioral pattern and the behavioral analysis has it has to be foremost in our minds. Mm-hmm. They can call them whatever they want to call themselves, but at the end of the day, what are they doing? Exactly. So, so let me ask you this, Nathaniel. Um, so, in Genesis, right, they talk about the Nephilim, fallen angels, mated with women. That's where they, we get giants and all this crazy stuff happen. I mean, the Book of Enoch lays it all out for us. And to my understanding of what I had originally thought before we found you of what demons were is that there's like a specific um, name for every demon that is under Satan or Lucifer um, is are they something completely separate than what we would see in, in your field and what you're talking. Those are completely two different things. Yeah, let's look at the linguistics here. Lucifer wasn't even around until the Latin Vulgate was written. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Lucifer, how art thou fallen, oh, son of the morning? Yeah, Lucifer didn't exist. I mean, it's just it's a it's a name for a king, but when it was right. translated in the Latin Vulgate, people thought, ah, that sounds demonic, right? <laughs> right. Even when we get to Satan, Satan is a species. Okay, that's why in Psalms one hundred nine and six, David curses an enemy of his watch this guy 
with a curse that says, God, I want you to send a possessing evil man to one of my haters. The Hebrew word is rasha. David says it like this. He frames it and says, place over him a wicked man. So that gives us insight to possession. It's on top and it's inside. Right, right. Wow. That rasha is wicked and possessing. So right there, we see that these are not horns and hooves, that it's disincarnate consciousness that is operating within its self-inherited memory. Jeez. evil, right? Yeah, right, right. And then David gives us further insight, and he says, um, and then place a Satan Mm -hmm. on his right side, an adversary. Mm -hmm. Um, So my demonology fell apart. I mean, obviously, I read the book of Watchers. I, I was a big fan of Enoch. Mm-hmm. But um, what I got caught up in was what's called comparative etymology. And one thing that we have to realize is that by the time Enoch, if it was Enoch who wrote that, mm-hmm. uh, if it was Enoch, by the time he uh, wrote that book, he had inherited all of these legends from earlier writings in Mesopotamia. Right. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. So even the word for angels in Hebrew, it's malakim. Mm-hmm. Malakim in comparative etymology meant ghosts. Wow. Oh, okay. Now, okay. They knew this. This is why if you go into the New Testament and you have the family of, of Apostle Peter, right? Mm-hmm. And they thought Peter had died, but then he knocks on the door and they said it must be his angel, right? Oh, okay. Or it's this malakim. Why? They thought it was his ghost. Mm, wow. Okay. So interesting. So, yeah, even the word for giants is Rephaim. It means deceased ancestors. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> right. So what we're witnessing here is a form of the afterlife that they're doing their best, best way to, to explain. Right, right. To, to capture it in their vocabulary and to use it as a vehicle of meaning. Now, what we need to be looking at is the word nephal. Nephalim is the word for people who've died. Okay. Nephal, right now to this day, there was a Hebrew linguist that commented on, I forget which show it was I did. Anyway, she's a Hebrew linguist. Mm -hmm. They know this stuff. But anyway, she says, again, that the word nephal, it's going to get good, is what they use when they describe infant deaths, unexplained pregnancy, and stillbirth. Oh, right. There's the victimology, guys. Yeah. Let's go all. It's crazy. Let's go all the way up to the 16th century. Move here. Let's go to the incubi and the physicians. When the physicians had stillbirth, they blamed it on incubi. Mm-hmm. Why? It's their victimology. Right. Now, it was through that human portal, what I put I put it in my book, I call it the mortal portal. Mm-hmm. It was through that mortal portal that they created consciousness. They put their consciousness into bodies. And that body grew up to be giants. Why? They're necromancers. Right. We'll that in a second. <laughs> there, guys. Yeah, absolutely, it is, uh, and the, and the linguistics obviously it makes a ton more sense when you understand that um, from you know the root base of it all, uh, because 
you know, to us, the Nephilim were, you know, completely different. But once you start breaking down these words, it, it's, it's mind blowing really. Oh yeah. It's wow. a fascinating subject, but you know, again, they're, they're psychopaths. They don't give, they, they couldn't, they would rather kill something than watch it survive. Right. Um, so, so, so are they, um, are they unable to move on or do they refuse to move on? Well, if I was a god or wanted to be a god, what I would do is I would molt my own body. Mm-hmm. I'd get to know what really matters. Right. And then I would try to be born again. Okay. Okay. So so now, once once they leave a physical form, they 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 kind of take on a a higher knowledge. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. And so, you That's know, crazy. they're man. Yeah. Holy shit. Are there are there good spirits that come back or is it just yes. the demonic? No, there's good spirits that come back, but not in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, The good spirits that come back are mostly apparitions and ghosts who do well wishes, who say their goodbyes, right? Or comfort people when they're grieving. Oh, okay. The only experience, and we talked about this a long time ago on one of the Mm -hmm. earliest episodes we ever had, we talked about if we thought that there were, you know, spirits or demons or angels, or we're talking about experiences that we've ever had. And I, I still to this day remember the most lucid, one of the most lucid dreams I ever had as a child is when my grandfather passed. And in the dream, he came back to me and told me, Hey, Chris, I'm not in pain anymore. He was going through cancer. Yeah, and one, the one, the last visions I ever had with him was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he came back and said, Hey, I'm not in pain anymore. I'm, I'm fine. And I love you. And, wow. and that was, and I woke up and everybody in the house is all sad. And right. everyone in my brother had already woken up and I was, I think I was the last one to wake up. I woke up, I came out and they're, they're like, Oh, grandpa passed away. And I said, I know he told me. And you no, know, and to this day, no one believed, you yeah. know, no one believed that, that I had this dream. And I'm like, yeah, he came and told me in, in my dream. Wow. We had That's a yeah, uh, <laughs> similar experience. Right. So, um, before my, my wife and I are expecting our first child, um, and at the end of March and, and right after we had got married, we were pregnant, um, a, a first time. And unfortunately we lost that baby in a miscarriage. Um, and so it's, it's said that the dove is a representation of a child that has not lived through a pregnancy. And uh, boy, I think we were at your house and the wife called me. This was months after. Oh yeah. Um, a dove flew into their house or my wife's house yeah. and then and flew wow. out. And, and that was really profound. I know for my wife and, and she told it's me coming that, in there and, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Saying hi and bye. And, um, so these, that's all, sometimes that's all we need. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, what's so, what's so interesting is <clears throat> in, in, in doing research for this, for this uh, show that we're having tonight and, and, and learning about this. Um, are there things, because I, I had this thought earlier, are there things besides the victimology, right? Let's just say you don't have any traumatic experiences that are necessarily profound that one of these uh, serial killer demonic entities would look for. Is there anything that you could do to open yourself up to that? Like a Ouija board, for example, or, or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, drug abuse. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we can go down that pig trail and talk about Jerry Marzinski. Dr. Jerry Marzinski is a clinical psychologist, and um, he would have people who were addicted to cocaine, uh, business executives, mm-hmm. who once they were on the drug, they began to hearing voices, voices that 
had their own belief system that were malevolent, that, you know, did not have his best interests in mind. And then once he got off the drugs, got clean, went back, uh, resolved his marriage, his kids began to speak to him again, got rehired back on his job. Everything was going good. And then um, one day the same guy came back and Jerry Marsdensky was like, dude, what the heck? You know, like you're here because you evidently the voices came back. Tell me what happened. He said, I was sleeping one night um, in bed and he said, everything was fine. You know, my life was back on track. And a voice told me to get in your car at night, get your car in the morning. He said, so I'm driving. He said, I don't even know where I'm going. The voice tells me, take a right at the red light, take a left at the stop sign. He said, before I know it, I'm in the middle of a cornfield. Oh and shit! The voice tells me bend down and pick up that black duffel bag. Get the fuck! <laughs> That's how far ahead they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. They, up. they knew what his trigger was. Right. Oh my so god. That that's one avenue. Um, another avenue is that, like you said before, it's the Ouija board. It's the pot. In my mind, that's the dumbest possible thing anybody could do. <laughs> yeah. So tell like, your kids, Chris. I just I, I, I just had this conversation at my house because I said some smart because they were asking, they're like, Dad, hey, what, what's the podcast about tonight? And I told them, I said, we're interviewing this demonologist. And they're like, Mom doesn't believe this and da, 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 da. And she she won't let us use the Ouija board. And I said, you're goddamn right. We're not using the Ouija board. <laughs> Why do you even have one? We don't have oh, one. Okay. I'm just saying we don't, have, we don't have one. But I said, why would you open yourself up to something that could be evil and, and say, hey, come on in? Right. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me yeah, at all. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that it's not as easy to put that demon back in the box, right? Yeah, yeah you can't put that genie back in the box. <laughs> yeah, once you open it up, you open yourself that up. I mean, it, it's just, it's there. It can right. keep coming. Right. You're giving it consent. We've, and that's, a, that's yeah. just something else I wanted to ask too. You know, a lot of the, I've heard, or what I've heard and what I've read is that you have to give consent to these evil spirits to possess i mean and that's like when you talk about drug use or drug you know using those you're opening yourself up to the this darkness or this dark side and that's when they can come in and attach themselves yeah it's one way they kind of grease your consciousness Mm -hmm. you know i mean you know it's one thing to be lucid and have issues with trauma or something and that entity use that it's another thing to have no issues create one for yourself and next thing you know, your morality and belief system is literally being molded according to the image of that entity. Right. Yeah. Um, then it's um, you're in a you're really in the battle for someone's life. If it's mm-hmm. not um, my goodness. So so for somebody that might because I had a strange dream. I'm not sure if I told you guys this. Uh, and it was probably about a week ago. And like I, like we mentioned earlier, I'm not a super religious person, but I've had kind of like a, a, an awakening of sorts, um, with spirituality. So my son, he's going to be seven in January and probably maybe once or twice a year, he has these night terrors okay. and, and then he'll, he'll wake up and, but he won't remember anything. Right. But he'll be drenched in sweat, shaking. And we try and, and ask him, you know, uh, throughout the day, the following day, if he remembers what his dream was about, he never remembers. Mm-hmm. Well, one night he had a night terror and we weren't asleep yet. So we went in there, checked on him. He fell back asleep just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to sleep 
And I had this crazy dream that I was at this old plantation home and it was for a Halloween type hayride, right? Haunted hayride type deal. But it was similar to the Whaley house here in San Diego. Um, so they say, go, go back to this, uh, you know, parlor room here. And in the back is the plantation. And they had these two rock circular rock, rock formations. Mm-hmm. And um, I walk into this room and it's just me. The rest of the group went off somewhere else. And there's two people sitting on a couch to my right, an old man and an old woman. They don't acknowledge me at all. But when I opened the doors, it was like a blast of hot air. Mm-hmm. And they both look at me and open their mouths, but nothing comes out. Mm. And I start, you know, I don't, I don't, you can ask me to read a Bible or, 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 you know, recite a Bible verse by memory. And I don't know any of them. Right. Mm. But I'm just reciting these Bible verses and, and telling whatever it is, I rebuke you, the door slams shut. And then I wake up. And I have no idea if those two things are related, but I've been thinking about this ever since it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, cause our house doesn't feel haunted. I've never, Brian, you've lived here yeah. for a while. And I've never experienced anything. Um, I'm here all the time. Yeah. You know, and it's never, I never get a weird feeling or anything like that, but that night it was strange. And, and, and um, my son hasn't had, you know, a bad dream since, mm-hmm. But for a normal person who might encounter, you know, something that they believe is malevolent, um, what would be the best course of action for them to take to kind of rid themselves or their home of, of, of their, I guess you can call it invasion, you know? You could do your religious amulets. Okay. Um, you could do holy water. You could do crosses. You could burn a candle, do blessings. Okay. I had a, a couple that I spoke to a couple of days ago where, um, just been having just issues in the marriage mm-hmm. and you know, the entity was working on her mind. It was working on just insecurities and stuff. And what I had her do is a, is a, is a very interesting ancient rite of exorcism where it's like the antidote to the disease. Right. It carries the disease in it itself, but it reverses it. And so right. I asked her, I said, write out all of your thoughts, Right. Because what these entities will do is they'll send thoughts to you in hopes that you'll con- you'll connect. That's where the consent comes mm-hmm. from. You'll connect the thought to some form of past trauma. Okay. And now it's got you. Right, right. And so I said, monitor your thoughts, your thought life. Write down the curses that's hissing in your ear and reverse them. Got it. Right? That's yeah. one way you can do it. Um, look for behavioral changes. Mm-hmm. Look for... Um, if you know if you've been doing too much alcohol intake, if you're doing you know anything that would influence your mind, if you're some people abuse pills, right? Um, I would close those windows and then deal right with anything right, right. left. Um, so all of the above, and there are there's clergy out there you can reach out to, mm-hmm. um, you know. So th- that's what I would do, and right. there are certainly different things you do for different entities. If it was an incubus, I want more intimacy between the couple. Mm-hmm. I want that entity to feel like it was just completely abandoned. Right. Third, right. third wheel, the entity. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. And cause I've had cases where I will lay down in between the couple at night. Wow. Get the fuck out of Again, here. This is exactly why. See, okay. Let's look at um, Charles Manson. 
mm-hmm. and how he had his crew stalk people in the nighttime hour, crawl right. around their bedtime, wouldn't say a word, would not wake them up. Yep. That's what that's the kind of mentality these entities operate in. Wow. My um, goodness. So, so, we've, so as far as the most common, are, are incubus and succubus the most common that, that we might witness? Or or is that um, are they just kind of the, the most popular? I guess you could say They're the most powerful. OK, really? Oh, yeah, because you're okay. dealing with someone who's intentionally <laughs> grooming the victim. It's not wow. It's not I'm going to come in, pop off, throw something at you. Right, right. That's give you a, a fucking you know, terrifying. Yeah, yeah it's, it's somebody who is um, taking time to mold that individual's consciousness in their image. And right. It's physical. Father Sinestraria of Amino, for the researchers that are going to listen to this, his name is Ludovico Maria Sinestraria. I like to say a little Maria, Maria, whatever. Sounds fancy. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, you you know. can just call me Bob. I don't know. <laughs> call me Bob. But, <laughs> no, but um, he's an amazing researcher. But he, his case is that. Um, this case is regarding the incubi. He would actually have victims that died later on in their life, and he would call doctors and do the autopsy. He pe- would peel back their eyelids, and the entity had carved yeah. symbols underneath their eyelids. Now, we're thinking about serial killers. <laughs> Big country's okay, Brian? <laughs> That's so fucked. It's not even funny. They would, uh, the scarification aspect of it is is a profound insight. Mm-hmm. My God, look at the pathology here, guys. Wow. We're, we're, the worst serial killer we've ever experienced is infinitely infantile compared mm-hmm. to the way these entities operate, right? But, um, I mean, and I'm not trying to make them into angels and glorify that. I'm just right. saying that we're in a period of history where it's almost as if we're dealing with technology and we're groping in the darkness. Yeah. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, to cut you off. <clears throat> I have a question. Can I move my laptop to my desk? Oh, yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right, yeah. I thought I would have more battery than No, this. no. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Do what you got to do. Matter of fact, boys, why don't we take uh, like a quick two-minute break, use the bathroom, get another drink if you need to, because I need fucking more beer. So <laughs> we've, we've been at it for almost an hour. All right, just waiting on Big Country to finish doing whatever he's doing. He's got a, a pregnant woman's bladder, so. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, there he is. There he is. We were just making fun of your bladder, how you uh, uh, pee, pee every five minutes. Well, I know. That could be a demonic possession, guys. I'm trying to get that shit out of there. <laughs> Having an exorcism back there. Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna, when I go home tonight, I'm going to say the biggest prayer and just make sure that there's no friggin' thing in my lane yeah. between me and my wife. Maybe I, right. I'm, I'm gonna blame all my issues on the incubus at my house. <laughs> Very well could be, man. You know, we uh my wife sages the house uh, pretty routinely. So and and you know uh maybe a question for Nathaniel here. So the so the the rituals like saging or or um you know like religious trinkets, crucifix, things like that. Um, are those based in the belief in them themselves? Like if, oh. if, if someone was to sage a house and they really didn't believe it was going to work and it, then would it, would it work or, or is it, is it just, you're not believing in it powerfully enough? 
I think it's both. It's not either or. It's both. Okay. Um, with with regarding like like fumigants, a lot of times it's just that these entities do not like the smell of them. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Because uh, I was just I was curious about that. Um, I'm not sure where we left off before our break there. Scarification. Yeah. Um, yes, the scarification. Yeah. Peeling back the eyelids, and he would found he would find like like symbolism carved into the skin, wow. and it goes back to the victimology here. It's um you know the behavioral patterns they mm-hmm. do not lie, and yeah. it, it's impossible for them to manifest into this world without us tracking their footprints. Mm-hmm. They could be invisible, but whatever they're doing. Right. It's leaving an imprint into our in our world. And so we have to we have to realize it. Right. So, so when these uh, entities are, are marking or beating down um, their victims, right. is that is that so that other spirits can't come in and try to victimize them also? Uh, or are they taking kind of marking is, if I'm marking it like, yeah, I've marked boy and I got him. He's yep. mine. Yes. So nobody else can come in. Right. I've got this. I want this. You know, I, I'm, I'm telling everybody else he, he belongs to me at this point. Is that is that something in my on, on? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, and that that's a brilliant question. And you're exactly right. It's it's the scarification. It's the branding mechanism. Mm. It's ownership. It's mine. It's nobody else's. Now, what that tells me as a researcher, and I know I'm weird, but tells me that, number one, there are two things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. They obviously know who that entity is based right. on symbols, right? Yeah. So he knows it, and evidently he's doing that so that others who know his symbols will see it as well. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, even more than that, I do believe that they will revisit their own crime scenes. Mm-hmm. There's which is, which is killer killers. They want to go and, and admire their work. Right. Exactly right. And now they have the ability to peel back the eyelids and say, okay, is this the right corpse or not? No. Oh, man. Wow. It's so uh, terrifying. Oh it, it is. But because I, I, we, we see that, we see that in the physical form yeah. as well. You know, I, obviously, this is, I mean, it happens. Quite often, but the most popular right now, the most, you know, headline grabbing one would be the Nexum uh, celebrity sex cult that we've seen with Keith Rainier branding his, his, you know, his victims. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, you know, that, that's the first thing that popped in my head with that. And it's very much so people know this, this is our brand. You know what I mean? This is the type of, this is the type of, this is our group. You know, so if if that girl was to be picked up and trafficked by a different group, they would know where she came from or and and because you talked about the victimization and you talked about them revisiting the scene and because those scars that they're not going to go away, you know what I mean? And and so it's a very obvious form of, you know, tagging their property, I guess you could say. Yeah, Yeah, this is going to. All right. I uh, one of my mentors. You guys have to have him on. Mm-hmm. He's he's big into conspiracy theories. He's an absolute brilliant man. But um, he is uh, one of my favorite parapsychologists that's ever lived. His name uh, is Doctor Michael Lynch. Doctor Lynch, Lynch was one of the very first ghost hunters before even like the television shows erupted. Mm-hmm. He has technology that they do not. Really? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Uh, um, and is this technology to detect or to communicate? Both. Really? Oh my yeah. goodness. So he um, put it to you this way. We're going to go into the scarification here in a second, but yeah, he had. Uh, he'll tell. He'll have to tell you where he got it from. But it's very interesting because he had a device that would, like this is like 15 years ago, that he would shoot a mm-hmm. laser at something, take its temperature, and then be able to see through the ultraviolet camera mm-hmm. what he's looking at, okay? He, um, he shot the thermometer, the, the laser, at an orb mm-hmm. that was floating through um, two homes. It was like an alleyway, he said. And he said the light itself hit the orb and bounced around inside of it and then bounced back at him wow whoa what is that and that's I'm yeah. each other, but I'm, that's just you guys i mean he'll blow yeah <laughs> that, and his point was that these orbs um they are physical enough mm-hmm. for the light right to refract exactly they can, can dematerialize mm-hmm. so moving on with his work he would talk about cases where he would um, have scarification on flesh, but the scars would come from under the layers of skin out. Wow. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it wasn't something going in. Exactly, yeah. It was something coming out. Coming out. Oh, coming yeah. Out. Something sub subdermal. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. You know, and because uh, I – I mean, there was a point in time where my wife and I, we were, you know, habitual about watching this one particular program called um, Paranormal State. Yeah. And uh, for me, that was the most intriguing because the host himself had experienced some sort of trauma along with uh, hauntings when he was young. So some of the explanations and they would talk about like subdermal abrasions like that, that came from beneath the skin and out. And I always thought that was extremely unique because there's only one way that happens. You know, it's, it's, it's not an accident. Uh, there's, there's no, the, a person can't do that to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that something is inside of a person that causes that to happen is it's, it's mind blowing. It's disturbing because for for something to take a, like most people, they think about ghosts and they, and the first thing they think about is, something falling off of a shelf or something, you know what I mean? It's, it's very trivial, trivial, but, um, physical attacks, things like that of, of someone's body that it's, it's crazy. They're incubi. I've had people that have watched my shows and, um, specifically women who have, you know, something that I've said resonated with them. And mm-hmm. these incubi will literally groom women into consent or you know, just intercourse. And then when they realize they, they've had a vasectomy, mm-hmm. chuck up the deuces, they leave. Really? Right? Look at what they're thinking about here, guys. Now, the scarification aspect of this is oh, going as well because it wasn't just the, um, the eyelids that had symbols. It was um, the private areas, the areas mm-hmm. that were hidden yeah. from the view. Now watch this. According to their fashion at the time, think about that. Mm-hmm. See right now, like where are they placing them? Exactly. Yeah. There's a smaller amount of area they can they can exactly. place them. Oh so they're, they're, what they're doing is they are adapting to the evolution of human thought. Right. They're growing with us. They're mutating according to our awareness. Yeah. Holy so, cow. 
so, uh, you know, with, with technology being so prevalent, um, is it possible for one of these things to attach themselves through something you might be viewing on any device? Mm-hmm. And and because that that is a, a form of consent, right? That's the user allowing that no one to, read. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> like, read. You checked the wrong box, you bastards. But you know, that, I mean, that that is a form of consent when you when when you're you know consuming things from the internet um is, is so it's possible for things like that to attach them to yourself mm-hmm. yeah. wow. that's crazy they operate on a different level and again what's scary about this is that now they're embodied right now you could be sitting across from them at the dinner dinner table and they could be holding a conversation with you and you are completely outclassed yeah you know it's it's uh you know it's it's extremely predatory but um, the scarification aspect of it has really interested me as of late because there is a, a great, great anthropologist by the name of Ariel Masters. And he writes a book called Eros and Evil, and he details um, witchcraft mm-hmm. in the medieval ages, medieval period. And he talks about how the different scarifications these entities would put on witches. Mm-hmm how they would groom them into intercourse. And this is interesting too. They would literally take them from the bedroom at night, place an apparition Mm -hmm. in bed with the husband in the bed. And the husband would never know his wife was missing. We would call that abduction. Whoa. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh my God. So, so speaking, speaking of abduction, you know, cause, cause most of the times you have abduction, you have them placing them on some sort of table and performing different medical experience experiments. Um, most of them being yeah, either milking of semen or penetration. Right. And, and a lot of the times when they return from these abductions, they have some sort of scarification somewhere, yep. you know, so, yeah, exactly. so, Comparing the the victimology of uh, what what most people would claim to be an alien abduction mm-hmm. and possession, they're pretty much identical. Well, yeah, yeah. Another anthropologist that really highlighted this motif is Fritz Kramer. He was German German anthropologist, and he wrote a book called The Red Fez. Mm-hmm. Um, in The Red Fez, he talks about how he went to Haiti one year, and his tour guide took him to a ritual of necromancy they were all in a circle and um there is a priest the priest he's a person of color right Mm -hmm. from haiti right and his flesh though his skin was scarred from head to toe if you guys ever get on uh the internet look up the red fez you'll see it it's on the cover of Mm -hmm. the book but um fritz kramer brilliant brilliant researcher he asked the tour guide, he said, you know, he goes, I'm very curious. Why is he so scarred? And the, the tour guide said, well, when the priest is possessed by our ancestor, that ancestor will take his own hands, the priest's hands, and scar his flesh. Oh, my God. Right? What's he doing? Again, it's the idea of molding the flesh in the image of the possessing entity so then uh fritz kramer writes he says that scarification is the imprint of culture mm-hmm. let's ponder that for a second whoa it's yeah, chris, chris just brought it up yeah the, so so that 
because typically um, in Haiti, it's some it's a, it's a type of form of voodoo, right? That that is practice. Um, so that's the culture that they're speaking of, correct? Correct. Right. And so I'm going to draw the line in the sand and kind of walk the knife's edge, not to contrast the two, but to compare the two. Right. Look how close that act is to UFO abduction. Mm. We call it the imprint. They call it the implant. And right. together, that's the marriage of the behavioral pattern. Um, in addition to that, going into the Apocryphon of John – which is a Coptic manuscript preserved by Egyptian monks. They talk about what happened in Genesis 6. They go into explicit detail, thankfully. Right. Mm-hmm. And he starts to shed light on one more behavioral pattern that we'll just chalk up, right? Say, oh my God, put it on a whiteboard and say, look, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the victimology is present as well. Anyways, it says that these entities, these watchers who were the wakeful ones, they couldn't sleep. They're not restful. They're restless. They're ghosts. Right. Um, the first time they manifested to our women, they waited until the husband was gone. Then they appeared to them in the apparition of their husband. Oh, shit. That's how they groomed them. That's an incubus. Right. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness! In one, and so okay, so then once they were in the act of intercourse, the moment of conception, wink, wink, mm-hmm. they uh, stared into the faces, into the eyes of the women, and then reversed their apparition to their true selves. Right. We would not have known what they did unless we understood their belief system and their worldview. Uh, that was ancient, what's called obstetric tradition, and obstetric is reference to fertility rights and childbearing, but it was a ritual. They believed that whatever the woman was looking at at the moment of conception, mm-hmm. the man, she would birth the material image of in her womb. What do we have? Oh, shit. That's crazy. The incubus, stillborn, stillbirths. Um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, fetus, missing fetus syndrome and UFO abduction. Why? Yeah, yeah. What they were doing is they were creating a body that would one day look like their own apparition. Mm-hmm. Now it's not transient possession. Right? Jeez. I'm here. And yeah. I have a body again. Oh, my God. All right. So let's go to UFO abduction phenomenon. Mm. Dr. Carla Turner, one of my the most preeminent uh, UFO abduction researcher in the world. She she she's passed sadly uh, from cancer, but she was unfreaking believable. She was um, interviewing an abductee that she was working with, and his name was Ted Rice. Ted Rice was being abducted since age eight and nine years old. Look at the victimology here. He said that his account was very interesting. He said that when he was abducted first, he was abducted along with his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in. They, they were taken into a, uh, a metallic room. It was very sterile. It looked like a medical facility. And these entities walked up to him, were kind of grooming him, and kind of just kind of making him do certain things. And one entity it was a hybrid entity. Walked up to his grandmother. 
looked at her and was trying to get her to have sex with him. Hmm. Now, let's think. Keep in mind. I know I've been saying the entire night, victimology, pathology. Yep. Not just because I like the words. It's not, it's not that they sound intelligent. It's literally what they're yeah. That's how we found them. Mm-hmm. At least me and my own work. But okay. So the entity was trying to poke and prod her, get her into certain positions to make her do things. She said something. It's very, very interesting. And thank God she said it. She said, sir, I've only known one man in my life. And it's my husband. He's been dead for 11 years. Now, let me ask you guys, what's the victimology here in the pathology? What do you think would happen? Changed into her husband. An apparition of her husband came walking. Oh, my God. Put on a little jagged edge in the background. You know, they got it going on. <laughs> the old spice comes out. She's like, oh, that's my guy right there. Right. But what it did was it conformed to her memory of him. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, here's a question. Was that his corpse or was that just an apparition? Oh, man. I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> I'm looking into that because I can't obviously prove that it was a corpse. But Right. Right. Yeah. But but it, it would it would make total sense. Uh, kind of a callback to earlier um, when you mentioned that they frequent graveyards you know, and, and reanimate some of these corpses. So is, is that why in, in, in your belief or in your studies that graveyards are so active, quote unquote, with, with paranormal type activity? Yeah. You have living people there Mm -hmm. and you have living entities that are necromancers. That's why, um, in your ancient traditions, they would bury people as soon as possible. Right. Right. They knew. Matter of fact, in Judaism, now, oh my God, this is going to blow y'all's minds. Remember how we talk about watchers, the book mm-hmm. of Enoch, and all that? Can I tell you what a watcher really is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, you got to look at their burial rites because they're all about death, right? That's literally where they exist. That's their mm-hmm. world. They're knowledgeable about this stuff. Well, um, burial rites in the late Iron Age, burial rites even beyond that in Judaism. It included someone who was placed in charge of watching the body while the family went away to grieve. Wow. They, right? What were they called? <laughs> watchers. The watchers. watchers. Oh, my God. There's a reversal of roles here. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some some ancient burial, burial grounds, uh, graveyards, where some of the dead were buried with cages around their graves. Is that for a similar reason? Yeah, so he wouldn't crawl out of the earth. <laughs> matter, of fact, matter of fact, if you go into um, the Old Testament, see, let me let me say this. When we look at Nephilim, look at the Rephaim, we have to look at these children, these babies, like they do. Mm-hmm. It was the immortal portal. They were created solely so that these entities could have apparitions that looked like them. But mm-hmm. in addition to that, they were creating what, what is called in anthropology the external soul, the body. Mm-hmm. So you have the internal soul, the consciousness, the spirit, right? Then you have the external soul. I have to solidify that point so we can move further real quick. So with that said, they were creating external souls. Now, when that external soul died, what do you think would happen? The internal soul survived, mm-hmm. right? That's why you have what's uh, like Perquet de Eliezer. 
He was an ancient rabbi who said that these demons are the souls of the wicked, evil people. That's also why your theologians, even people that are really prominent in evangelicalism, they cannot understand how these entities survived. How? Even even the Book of Enoch says that they died, and now these are the disincarnate entities. They're really (laughs) describing afterlife phenomena. Yeah, yeah. Trying to fit it within the parameters of their religious tradition. Absolutely. Um, The the mortal portal thing that you you keep bringing up, and it's it's extremely. I I think you're accurate with that. Um, You know, I I had, and I think we've spoke about this on the show before. um, I had an encounter with a group of medians. and it also kind of echoed the whole Tibetan Book of the Dead type deal where when you're being born, um, you know, so they so the way that these medians explained to to my family was when you ha- when you bear children, these children, um, the, the agreement for the children to be born was made prior to them arriving to this earth. Um, and and it was there was I guess, sort of I guess the best way to say it is a selection was made. Um, and it was also similar to one of the meetings had mentioned that my mom and I had made an agreement to reenter this earth and, and for me to be her son all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's obviously it's, it has nothing to do with evil or anything like that, but is, is this sort of along the same lines, right? Cause if, if that can happen one way, obviously a a, a more malevolent, form of that can take place as well. Exactly right. There's a difference between what in Judaism they would call tikkun, which is soul correction. Okay. Um, you know, it's the, the um, it's not transmigration, but it's, it's the, in the sense you live, you live your life. There were things that you didn't learn. So you die and you go into another body. These entities do not want to die at all. Mm-hmm. There's it's a difference. Yeah. Right. When they just come back and keep going. Right. And so, you know, they pillage, they eat, they're cannibals. Yeah. Um, so if you go into the Old Testament, that was their whole pre- their whole point. They want to have external souls. What was an external soul to them? It was a vehicle. It was mm-hmm. a skin condition where they could exist in their world again and operate as demigods or even sometimes gods. But let's get into something even more chilling. The Amorites – Mm-hmm. Um, when they went into the promised land in the Old Testament, it was called Canaan. They they gave these entities a name. They called them the Zamzumim. Okay, now the I am at the very end of that word, it's the Hebrew term for plural. So the mm-hmm. Zamzumim, you take that off, you just have Zamzum, Zamzum. Zamzum was not a concrete title. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a real name. What the Amorites simply did is sat down and said, we're going to create a slang slur for these entities. And the closest word that we have in our language to what – this is very important. The closest word that we have in our language that sounds the most like their language to each other is Zamzum. Hmm. Now, Zamzum's not wasn't even a real word. It was just right. something made up. Zamzum. Why? That was what their language sounded like when they would communicate to each other. Oh, okay. It's okay. going to make your skin crawl. That's not a human language. Oh. Uh, so do we. This is, this is incredible, guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> bro. That's not a human language. Now, right. watch this. Oh, my God. All right. 
in order to understand what they were referencing, we have to go to Isaiah 8 and 19. It was, the, it was the prohibition Yahweh or Hashem, God mm-hmm. of the Bible, gave against necromancy because the language necromancer spoke was a buzzing sound, a chirping sound, and a oh, muttering shit. sound. The Amorites, God, I got chills. The Amorites called it Zemzumim. Yeah. Because when they were in their presence, it get worked up. When they were in their presence, they would watch them communicate with each other, and they couldn't understand the language. So here's something that we have to think about. We're used to possession cases in Latin. That's not their true language. Right. That's something they learned. Oh, man. It's it's a frequency of necromancy. Oh, man. That's so, dude. Crazy. I don't like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, you know, this is mind blowing and it is extremely chilling, but it's so fascinating because I'm imagining these people and they're sitting and they hear this language and they're looking at each other going, what the fuck are they saying? I don't know. It sounds Zamzumi. Something that it's just a I just hear a Zamzumi sound. Human nature. A buzzing sound. Yeah. A mutter, a, ch- a chatter. You, um, um, insectoid. Oh, my God. You, and that, yeah, that, that, that's what it, you know, when you're out in the woods and you hear the cicadas clicking and buzzing. You're exactly. You're on it. The locust. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. Okay. With that. With the ever-growing electrification of the Earth, with all these different frequencies that we're being able to tap in through radio communication and the internet and fiber optics, is it more prominent now that they can enter this world a little bit more easier or that we've become accustomed to hearing this um, buzzing... Right. So if you were to take Boya, you had told that story of the uh, individual who had immigrated to this country from Africa and he noticed the buzzing. He's like, I can hear a constant buzzing and we don't hear it because we're we grow up in it. We're conditioned. Yeah, we're conditioned to it. So so uh, are are you asking if we're like terraforming for them? Yeah, pretty much. We are amplifiers to them. Jesus. Honey, turn off fucking uh, everything now. Turn it all off. (laughs) (laughs) Episode over. (laughs) <laughs> back into something that again you know i i don't know you know i had these the, these producers that want me to be on their show in terms of like tv shows they want me to give like like commentary mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like okay you know we go into a show and we see this happen you know what what do you have to say about that uh i was thinking about that because covid has shut everything down right so right. i had a phone call uh last march with a producer in hollywood they wanted me to come down and then everything was just but i have an answer that is going to it's not cool yeah because something that i discovered it's um in the book of numbers 19 in chapter 19 and 11 remember how i told we 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 began this episode on the stench that i grew up with right right, in the house Mm -hmm. i didn't know what it was it it smelled like consciousness to me it smelled like decom something was there right numbers 19 and 11 gives us the origin of exorcism and demonic possession he, There's two components. Here we go. Uh, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Yeah. He goes on to say that everything in the house is going to be unclean. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they talk about what's called the open vessel law, and that is where possession 
Mm. Open vessel law was that it wasn't just people inside the house that was unclean. It wasn't just the walls. It sounds like a haunting, by the way. It's not just, you know, the carpet and the clothing. No, even vessels of food that were in pottery, if it didn't have a lid on it, it, Mm -hmm. it, that that defilement would then get into the food itself. Now, something very particular. Uh, Their belief regarding that whole passage was anchored in what's called killing air. The killing air was an idea that when someone dies, there is a gas, a a smoke, a plume of of spirit, really, that leaves their body. Look at the apparitions, right? <laughs> Goes to the house. And that it smells like it's corpse. Right. That's- you know, because here in San Diego, we have a very famous haunted house, the Whaley House. Mm-hmm. And um, people that experience um, any of the apparitions there, typically they have a scent of uh, a very strong scent of lavender and rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the, you know, the more benevolent things they they smell like they're rotting. Um, now the, the smell itself, because uh, now I'm wondering if at any point in time, is there an incubus or a succubus that will try and trick you with the sin of something that you're familiar with? It will, but not in the sense of possession. Okay. Now there's a reason for that. It's absolutely. <sighs> Let me take that question back. Just based on your reaction. <laughs> so withdraw my previous, please continue. Yeah, right. Withdraw that. No, um, so one thing that we have to realize, and I do not believe that these ghost hunters, they, they probably don't even know about it. And if they have, they, when we encounter that, that corpse smell, mm-hmm. this is very interesting. We are smelling disincarnate consciousness. Okay. Wow. Okay. It carries the same, same odor. It's corpse does or did. Right. Right. Right, it's the internal soul. It's external soul, right. even though it's not right. Now watch this. But when we go into homes and we smell that, that entity is actively trying to possess us. Okay, it doesn't just want to wear us a skin; it wants to be the air we breathe. Oh, Hence, okay. why your exorcists in the Bible and in the first century would often pull entities out of the nostrils because that's where it entered. Right. This goes back to an understanding what they are. An unclean spirit in the Hebrew is tuma ruwa. It's corpse defilement. We just, mm-hmm. read, just read it earlier. But it's more than that. Ruwa means to inhale through the nostrils. Wow. Man. To inhale life specifically. So, right. again, we've got to put put this horns and hove um, heresy to rest. There has mm-hmm. never, never been an angel who inhaled life through the nostrils, right? Right, That happened in Genesis with Adam. These are men, but they're necromancers. But that's one thing that I'm going to teach because I I, I got a lot of lectures next year. Um, I just signed a contract recently. I can't put it out yet until we get it. It's going to be nice. But what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to talk about that because these people know that. They're going to homes and saying, you smell that? Next thing you know, 
right? That's a wrap. Yeah. So it's it's these entities operate like that. But it, and and more than that, and I I'm not going to ramble, but I'll, I'll finish that thought with this. Goes back to the amplification that they use us for. Right. Uh, Yokanon Ben Zakai is a Kabbalistic exorcist. He said that we are like we're we're wind like instruments to them. Mm. So think of like a trumpet or a clarinet, mm-hmm. where they will use our body cavity <laughs> and, and then blow their air through us, our nostrils, our lungs, so that their voice can be amplified. That's why when you go into the infield poltergeist, you have the 12-year-old girl who says, the voice comes through me, but yeah. I do it behind me. That's what it's yeah. like. Yeah. You know, I just I, I, I just fought a sneeze. Uh oh. <laughs> so I just wanna say like I didn't smell anything crazy yeah. beforehand, but uh a thought popped into my head. Is that where the term bless you comes from when someone is sneezing? Yeah, because they used to think that and other things were um getting the devil out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to walk onto a scene where I have uh, like a, a corpse or a found body and ever be okay. Again. Need to, Not ever. You need to bring this with you. Yeah. Once, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. You're right. I don't, I don't even know. What, what do you do if I may ask or if I'm allowed to ask? It's, it's I, I work, I work for cops plus it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't say, I don't say the agency, but um, I, got you. I, I, and I, you know, I've come across, I, I probably seen, Somewhere up where probably close to like 50 or 60 dead people probably now on my job. And, and it, every single time it, some, some affects you way worse than others. And, and, but there's times that you, like you're talking about, you walk in and you feel it around you. You feel the, I just got, ugh. but I, um, I had a case where it was a, it was a murder case. I, I said that on the show and somebody's like, oh my God, he's trying to like act like he's a detective. And I thought, what an idiot, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. I had a, a case, it was um it's a haunting where a murder had taken place and I, I saw the carpet and everything. It, it, you're right, it's the consciousness, it stains. It's just Yeah. But yeah, um, you, yeah, it definitely affects you and affects the people different ways and, and just be more aware of like of, of learning stuff like this is just makes me more, more aware of what's going on around me at all times and you know, and to shield myself in, in positive ways, like like you talked earlier about, you know, when you reverse those thoughts or you t- you told that lady that to write down the, the negative, you know, and reverse it to a positive. And that's what, how I'm going to shield myself going forward, you know, knowing that there's stuff that could be out there that could affect us very negatively. And I'm not going to let it or let it in at all, you know, and just try to keep the air around me clean and, Put the Vicks on my nose so I don't smell anything. <laughs> hey, that's why we keep air purifiers in the house on at all times, baby. <laughs> You're right. And, and one thing that's that's fascinating to me is that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, called these creatures, this apocalyptic species of evil, he called them soul hunters. Mm. They're, they're necromancers. Right. You know, so is this the ultimate evil that we're fighting against at all times is the yeah. this, is the possessions and well that, that was something I wanted to ask about because I, I countless celebrities especially musicians it seems like they're they mention that something else takes over them when they're performing or that they've sold their soul commonly they say to the devil 
um, and things like that. And uh, I, I just find it really strange that it, there's such a large amount of these people that say these things. And then at some point, I think we discussed it on, on uh, maybe last week's show, or the show before that. At some point, it seems like a handful of them, and we'll just say Kanye West, for instance, right? He, there was a point uh, throughout his career where he claimed on stage that he sold his soul to the devil for the success of his career. Mm-hmm. But now he's ultra religious. He's got, you know, his Sunday service and, and uh, Brian and I had spoke about it. Is it something that he realized he can't get rid of and he's trying to make up for by, mm-hmm having this church service and and turning towards the Bible. It could be. Kanye is a very interesting individual. He's obviously gifted in one way or another. Right. I think that when he lost his mom, I really think it really impacted him. Because when you're a creative like that, um, you're either going to be a mad, mad, like you're either going to be mad or you're going to be a scientist. Right, right. Trying to balance that. But to the degree of um, the currency, I, I do believe there there's a shared currency there mm-hmm. where there could be a covenant made where, you know what, I'll do A, B, and C for you. Right. You give me certain giftings and open certain doors. Exactly. But the entities that I'm researching that I poured a lot of myself into is, is not it's not like that. It's different. Their their belief system's different. They don't mm-hmm. get they, they they're not after giving you gifts and they're not saying, you know what, um, you know, give me something in return. Right. They don't care. They they have. They're. I'm going to use a big word. They're they're not superfluous. Mm-hmm. They do not waste time. That's one thing that we learned in the Middle Ages and our uh, eros and evil. Um, they hate laughter. Okay. Again, seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So they are. They're one. They're they want. They, they want what they want. They have one track focus. They want just to take. They're not giving. I. I totally. I. I'm thinking they're just coming to do evil and Come just get, get their they, will. They want. What they want. Yahweh is. This is going to be interesting, man. Oh my God. So when Ezekiel 13, mm-hmm. Yahweh calls them soul hunters. He says, "Those who should die live." Those who should live die. He says, um, he calls them false prophets because they would give um, prophecies, obviously, that were false, but they would tell lies. Right. And so they would make you believe in something, and then it would never turn out to anything. Um, But their victimology is exactly what we're talking about. It said that they would go into homes at nighttime. Mm -hmm. They would induce their victims into a dream state, which happens a lot of times in incubi cases. Mm-hmm. Then again, serial killers. They would kill the person and then cut a piece of their flesh off. We would call it scarification. They cut a piece of their flesh off and then sew it onto their own skin. Oh shit! What's their skin, guys? What was their body? The external soul. Right. Mm. So the body they were inhabiting was dying, right? And they're trying to recreate it. Oh again. my god. God, dude. now, now, this is intense, obviously. But let's get back into attachments. So, before a possession actually happens, we and and as demonologists, at least some of us, uh, we realized that attachment was uh, the predecessor to possession. But we didn't really understand the sum total of that, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get into the nature of what they did, which were basically modern skin grafts. 
right? Yeah. If you go back to that term that physicians use in that time period, it was called skin attachment. They take from us to mm-hmm. add it to themselves. Oh my so God. it's not just possession uh, or not even just possessing our attributes. It's not just possessing our semen. It's taking it. It's, it's harvesting our attributes. Mm-hmm. So now that they could look like us. Oh, operate in our God. World. So, okay. Before, cause I, cause I want to get into necromancy a little bit. Um, yeah. but I, a question I have for you, these, these deities that you, uh, research and you said uh, a minute ago that they aren't concerned with giving you something in return right so do they do they answer to a higher power of any kind or they are are they are like more individualistic as the case is cosmologies are individual so you'll have some that prefer black-haired women. You'll have mm-hmm. some that prefer, right? But the victimology, it's very interesting. But in, um, that's the smaller, minute portions of their victimology. The hierarchy aspect of this has always intrigued me. Um, if there is, I'm going to say this, if there is, it would have been one of the earliest people who died in oh. the history of humanity. So, so one of the one of the first soul one of one of the first people that died that kind of figured out yep. the in between. That's and, and we can tell you who they are. We've really? narrowed, I've narrowed it down. Yeah, they were they were your first exorcists and your first physicians. That's why wow. we abducted aliens. <laughs> what do you have? You have physicians. Yeah. Holy and what shit. they did is they took the knowledge that they learned embodied. And they reversed it, and now we're using it against us. This is incredible. Wow. Not, not going to the doctor anymore. <laughs> Holy hell. Well, yeah, right? So um, that's why Father Sinestrari see, – see, again, these entities will mock us to our faith. Mm-hmm. Mock us. They'll, they'll mock us. They'll make a reference. And a lot of demonologists will be like, oh, that was so cute. They'll press play, and they'll go do a lecture on it. Not really. Yeah. And this entity is operating on a different wavelength. And he just basically told you you're a you're a complete you know you just don't know it. Yeah. Now, here's how I know that. Uh, and I'm not saying this man was uh, um, a bad demonologist. He was one of my favorite. His name was Malachi Martin. Um, he's re- he's deceased as well. But I wish he was still here with us. Obviously, but Malachi Martin uh, had done an exorcism, and in, during the exorcism, he had prayed the Lord's Prayer. That was a part of his rite. Mm-hmm. That night, he goes home, goes to bed, wakes up to four shadow figures who are quoting the Lord's Prayer to him backwards. Oh, my God. I would immediately start vomiting. Well, right. So so he's used to that stuff. And so he just did his stuff and, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace and all that. And then he just rolled over, went back to bed. Now, I didn't know why they would do that. It's kind of a strange thing. It wasn't until I read a manuscript from the age of the demoniac in the 16th century. The manuscript was written by Isaac Luria, an exorcist, and it talked about how Luria would pray his prayers in the ears of the demoniacs backwards. Whoa. Whoa. Holy shit. <laughs> well, 
I got chills. What they were doing to Malachi Martin. Ooh. See, okay. The reason Malachi Martin would do that is he would he would say it forward and then backwards. Forward right. and backwards. It was a sweeping motion of lyrics because he said that there was power in that. So when Malachi Martin is dealing with this foreshadow figures and they're saying, hey, listen, we took everything that you said over us. I got, man, I'm getting deep tonight. Thank you guys. For yeah, no, this is great. This is fantastic. I'm going to take everything you said to me and I'm going to reverse it. Yeah. My goodness. Do you- <laughs> we would have that if we did not know what they do. Now, why did they know that? Right. They learned. They learned. That's insane. You know That's what this. So you know what this interview is like. It's like uh, listening to an episode with uh, Bishop Larry Gators. Yeah. Get all fired <laughs> up. I love it. Um, he, here's a question with with building on that, Nathaniel. Is is there in in your course of research? Is there any case that you're familiar with that, um, as you had mentioned, that they we learned what he had said we reversed it is there any other instances where let's just say there was a possession of some sort and a religious body came in to do an exorcist and basically that possessor said that shit doesn't affect me you have to come up with something else all the time really my god so they're they're like building up their own defense against it they're as they're learning it they're becoming less and less you know they they're not going to be so so how do we, I mean, how's that, how does, how do we fight that? Okay. Well, most of those entities are entities who are still operating within their belief system. Okay. Um, so like we had a lot of those cases in Kabbalah, your debook phenomenon, mm-hmm. where they were still tied to a faith in our world, not to a faith in theirs, right? They still yeah. believe what they believed in, what they believe in life. So uh, especially in the Levant where like you know israel's next next to other islamic nations right um, or islamic nation in general uh so you would have judaism and islamia neck and neck right next to each other the next town over and you would have um, a jewish person possessed by an entity you'd have a rabbi go over there and try to do everything he could do and the entity's just like dude i don't even believe in that god it's not going to affect oh, me. Shit. yeah so they would have to go get an imam and the imam would come in you know quote the hadith next thing you know the entity left um we've even had cases where the entity <laughs> this is interesting Jaime Vital was Isaac Luria's protege and Vital had a dream one night where a student came to him and said I need help over here and tomorrow I will come to you he's, he's deceived right he's dead yeah the next day Jaime Vital goes throughout his work goes throughout his day and Gets his work done, he cooks dinner, takes his bath, and goes to bed. He's thinking, you know what? Maybe it was the beans I ate the night before. It's bad Taco Bell. Maybe <laughs> I just drained that. Next thing you know, there's a knock on the door. He opens the door, and there's a handmaiden brought by her mother. The little girl looks at Jaime and says, Hello, master. I told you I would come today. God. Oh it my blows God. my mind. <laughs> and that's it for this episode right. of Whiskey Beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's and and I need help. And this is what I need you to do. And and, and this is to take a sidestep. This these are these cases are more of the entities who are either murdered at a young age, they died before their time, right? 
obviously this is how these other entities started, right? They mm-hmm. to die, but these people have died. They've transitioned and they need help over there. Now that in itself gives us further insight into what really matters in that next dimension. Right. Or why, why would it matter to them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I have, I have two questions for you and I'm going to ask a silly, stupid question before I ask the serious question. Here's the silly, stupid question. Is Zach Baggins just like a, a total douchebag with his show that it's all fabricated <laughs> and, and all that? And There are fake shows out there. What I what I dislike about some people is how they get possessed by the same old lady every episode. <laughs> <laughs> some people are like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it's either that old lady is just completely bored or maybe some of it's, you know, but I think that um, we need more, I wouldn't say more, we need better researchers sometimes than others. Right. Um, a lot of, and what really frustrates me as a, a, someone in the field is when I go into a case and before I get there, the house, the, the wife or the husband says, listen, you know, I think you're all wrong. I just watched an episode of my favorite show. (laughs) What they tell me. Yeah. What grieves me is how the people who need help the most are educated by actors. Mm, Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It really, really messes things up. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, I I totally get what you're saying because I watched that show and he's like, guys, there's guys, hold on something and i'm like well what is it fuck <laughs> um so here's the, over there. here's the serious question right <laughs> and this might be a stupid question to ask and i don't know why i'm asking it um but you know i've only had uh, two experiences myself one that i had mentioned earlier with the with the dove coming into the house and um one other one was after my grandfather passed he had did come to me in a dream and told me, Hey guy, I'm fine. We're all here. And I, and I distinctly remember that. And, and I told my wife about it and that was something. All here. Yeah. He said, we're all here. And I didn't know who that was. If that was all of our ancestors that had passed on or, or what have you. But um, those are two distinct things that I can remember. These things that you're talking about that I have not had an experience with. Is it because my family is protected or I'm not open to it or they're not looking to to the these these entities they're not looking to come after me particularly because you know they're like I don't like the way he grows his beard so I'm not about that or <laughs> no one likes your beard. that's not my victimology. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's all of the above I mean protection can include you not being interested in it. protection can include them not being interested in you you know um but what's also this is this is nuts it gets back to um we're all here ancestors Mm -hmm. when you die you're gathered by and onto your ancestors right in fact that's one of the um clarifications and qualifications to be a nephilim right it wasn't you know the people that originally died and then they tried to be reincarnated again um was people who died before their time people who were murdered and people who were never buried and because they didn't have a good death, this is according to the ancient belief, because they didn't have a good death, they were never able to to go, right? And so when you when you go into the Bible and you hear about these patriarchs in Genesis, uh, this is this is not my work. This is a, a commentarian's work. His name is Nahum Sarna for researchers. 
But he goes into it and says, you know, we have these patriarchs who are gathered unto their ancestors, and yet they were never buried with their ancestors, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Moses was buried by God in an unmarked grave. And so Nahum Sarna, thank God, he said, look, he goes, we're not dealing with the way they were buried and who they were buried with. We're dealing with the afterlife here. And right. so you'll have people who will come to you. We have it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, they, they see a, an apparition of their family and they, they go with them. Um, to to go further with that, I used to sell lawn care back in the day, man. Mm-hmm. Hated the job, but shocker. I met a lady. Shocker! Huh? Oh, that's <laughs> a tornado out there, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> but, um, that actually happened. So, but one day I met this lady, and she uh, suffered just traumatic brain damage. Very nice lady, awesome person. We got to talking about what had happened to her. And um, this is not going to have anything to do with demonology, but it's it's fascinating. Sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, she told me, she said, you know, she said, I used to be an EMT. And she said, I got a phone call one night. It was in the wintertime. And she said, I got a phone call one night that my best friend was in a very bad car accident. And she said, I knew where the ambulance was going. She said, I was trying to drive there in the snow on the highway to get to the her as an EMT, but also as our best friend to help her. And she said, I hit black ice. I was ejected out of my car and my skull hit the concrete. Jesus. And she said it had dissolved all of the tissue in my head and my skull that held my brain together. She said, so if I fell right now on the concrete, I would most likely damage my head and die. She said, but I'm not afraid of dying. And I said, that's unusual. You know, what happened? She said, when I had died, she said, I was out of my body. I opened my eyes and I saw my father, ancestor. <laughs> and he said, um, what are you doing here? Number one, there's a here, here. Right, here, right. It's not your time. So there's a time there. Hmm. Man. So we all, we all have an expiration date. We just right. don't know when. Dude, y'all about Y'all about to freak out, man. Because I, did. I didn't sell. I didn't sell any lawn care the rest of that night. I was like, dude, I'm gone. Yeah, it's a wrap. Walk around. Hope my, yeah. my old boss doesn't listen to this. I don't care. <laughs> Walked around for a couple hours and thought, oh my god, I had to wrap my mind around it. But she said, my father told me, you know, it's not your time. You need to go back. And she said, look, this world is better than our world. It was. She said there were callers there mm-hmm. that do not exist here. Um, there were emotions, uh, positive emotions there that we've never even been privy wow. to. And she said, I don't want to go back, Dad. And he said, honey, you've got to go because your boys need you. you ready for the next foot drop? I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> I didn't have my twins for another 10 years. No oh way. my gosh. Oh, my God. Okay, we're done here. Have a good night. Wow, that's incredible. If that's that inc- so. It's all. Yeah. Oh just, my ugh. gosh. So this is based what you that, came based for. Based on that story, because this is not the first time that you know that I I took a course in college and we went kind of. It was a psychology course and we went real deep into uh, near death experiences. And I can't tell you how many times, not that exact story, because that's crazy for them all of a sudden 10 years later you have twins but how many times 
you know, people have said I was told I needed to come back because I have a purpose I need to complete or it's not my time or and so basically that just kind of solidifies the idea that this is all mapped out. Like we, we, we already have a pre-planned path and we have to, to walk that path and complete that path before we can move on. Divine appointments. And this Divine. gives insight into why it is that these entities are poaching people. Right. For their time. Oh my God. God. This is so amazing. Holy cow. This is incredible. Well, you know what? I mean, that com- that's comforting. It's extremely comforting because there are people, you know, who are going, they're sick, they're going through treatments or they just know that their time is coming. And when they say, I'm not afraid to die, I am ready to go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's something so comforting behind that. It's really hard to get your mind behind it when you're healthy and young and vibrant. Mm-hmm. But when they tell you I'm I, everything's going to be fine, I'm going to move on. It's, it's all good. It's, it's there's something extremely comforting when you hear that, you know, you're right. My grandmother died with a smile on her face, just yeah, and then was gone. But um, the poaching aspect, the soul hunter here, and I think that that I don't really talk about Christianity that much, or or at least the theology that I've been researching. But we've always, like, when I was growing up, I, I always thought that that the ministry of Jesus Christ was to like save us all. What was he saving souls? Right. Right. Who was he really at war with? Soul hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to understand what he did, we have to understand what happened. We had entities that that died. They didn't want to move on. They didn't want to die, so they inhabited bodies. Right. Right. So you have a spirit that was made flesh. Mm-hmm. So then you have Jesus in the New Testament who goes to the demoniac and the Gadarenes. Now watch what happened. He is spirit and flesh. Right. Wow. So now he walks up to them, and you've got to think of, dude, it's crazy. Yeah. He's realized they knew they were illegal. Those yeah. Were the, those were actually the ghosts that were buried that came from the graveyard that, that right. money actually had. <laughs> and so here comes Jesus. He's, he, he's you know, uh, he's fresh off the, the boat from fishing and everything, and he walks over to them. And he sees this entity, and he says, "What's your name?" Well, we are we are legion, for we are men. And now that entity must have thought in his mind, "Oh my God!" Yeah, because his spirit is in flesh legally, right? Mine's not, Mm -hmm. and now he knows it. Yeah. One of the aspects of his ministry, because this is is fascinating, um, he was not the blood redeemer. He was the redeemer of blood. Whose blood? Those people who died before their time. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the worldview they're operating. Yeah. It's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. It's it's mind-blowing. It's eye-opening. So here's a question. Being that Jesus, what came from an immaculate conception, a spirit into the womb, mm-hmm. and he comes out and he's has that right. Yeah. Do these entities see that, okay. and that that's what they're trying to emulate, and how they're trying to yes. to reincarnate themselves? Yes, blasphemous. Yeah, blasphemous. Wow, it's an apocalyptic species of evil. What a great question, Chris. It's a very good. Question. <laughs> 
that that yeah and that that's one of the the ways that they battle and so if you look at the way Yahweh kind of balanced the table for us Jesus dies mm-hmm. and then he becomes the holy spirit ah uh. who now inhabits you and I according to Christianity and now guess what now now we're on a, a level playing field in the right. even more than that. They, so, you know, it, it's, it's a very fascinating thing, but when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished, what's finished. See, he was called the firstborn of the dead. Mm. What he did is he, he reversed the order. Right. It's amazing. I ain't going to get into that, but oh that's, my God. that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> This, 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 is, this is my new favorite episode. I know Chris has looked uncomfortable this entire time. Um, and I've, I've just been trying to consume all this information because it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the, the viewpoint you have on this whole thing is uh, extremely unique, but I also, I also think um, very, very effective in, in furthering the research for this kind of stuff. That's, yeah. that's the goal, man. And I'm humbled and honored because it really means a lot to me. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's amazing what you do. Um, and shit, I had a question and it just fucked the alcohol stripped out of my mind. God damn it. Um, <laughs> Should have rubbed it down. <laughs> it was a good one too. Um, uh, guys, any other questions before for Nathaniel before we wrap um, it up? One, one, one more quick question I had, um, and it pertains to um, possessed or haunted objects. Is it, is it possible that an object can contain some sort of demonic possession within itself? Yes, that was really? very – okay. So I've talked tonight about how they mutated in their pathology. Right. That was the very first mutation. Really? When they stopped possessing idols and they started possessing humans. Okay, because you know, I, I've heard often, time and time again, um, possess objects, haunted objects. I wasn't sure if I quite believed that, right. um, but I can tell you after this show, it's definitely something that that on top of everything else that we learned tonight, uh, and, and knowing that that's the first, and that makes a lot of sense that that would be the first thing that they possess. Yeah, uh, that, that'd be the easiest thing for them to possess before they move on and evolve to. And there, you're right, and there has to be something scientific to it. I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, the Katamua inscription. In 2008, the University of Chicago sent out archaeologists who took mm-hmm. and they, they went on what's called the Zincurli expedition. Uh, during one of their unearthings, they, they found a sarcophagus of a Turkish official by the name of Katamua. It's known as Katamua inscription. Mm-hmm. Here, the Katamuan inscription. So, anyways, um, on his stele, which is to us, it would be his gravestone, mm-hmm. right? Detailing who it was, when he was born, when he died, and all that stuff. On his stele, it was interesting. He was the one who actually wrote it. <laughs> right? And he says, My name is Katamua. This is my stele, and my soul is in the stele. Oh, right. Then he says, says, I want these kind of offerings. If you ever disturb my ghost and all this Mm -hmm. different than what a lot of demons would want nowadays. But 
Um, that happened in the late Iron Age. That's when it was written. Now, let's move forward into the Old Testament. Again, it's necromancy. That was the form of the afterlife. Now we have to deal with how their pathology mutated like a disease. There's a, a Bible character named Laban. He's in the book of Genesis. And Laban was what they called an idolater. Okay, so he would bow down. He would actually mold sometimes and then bow down to um, material objects, hoping that the entity he was worshiping would possess it. Now, something that's terrifying is that he would not just make things. He was a necromancer. He would go out and find the firstborn child in a family. I'm not, I don't want to end it on a somber note. Yeah. <laughs> He would go find the firstborn child of a family between the ages of, I think it was seven and 12. Um, he would kill him, take him in his house, put him in the wall, place a metallic object, a metallic implant oh, under his tongue, carve the name of an unclean spirit, Tumarua, corpse pollution, carve the name of that spirit onto the metal bar, and then that entity using us like a wind instrument would possess the body and begin to speak through it. Oh. That is when their pathology mutated in a way that it's a, a very sobering oh. reality. My wow. God. Uh, okay. <laughs> I remembered my question. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, cool. we'll get to the end of the show here. Um so in in the years of doing your research and the work that you've done, uh, I'm sure you've come into contact with the, the Catholic Church and other churches and deities as you as you do your research. Why is um, exorcism more or less exclusive to the Catholic Church? Dogma. Is that what it is? Mm. Okay. Because it's not even there, right? Right. They just kind of hopped on that train and claimed it for their own, huh? Of course they did. They, okay. they, what, they, they, what, they did what's called de-Judaization. They de-Judaized it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they said it's our ritual. And then here's the question. If they're not deceased entities, why are they responding to the right. corpse pollution? Uh-huh. Right. 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 So, yeah, you know, if, if, if the how doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't know the why. What's going on here? Right. So, um, yeah, they, they, they just they claim supremacy and it shouldn't happen. Right. OK. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and earlier in the episode, when you had mentioned when Boy had asked, you know, what are the what are some things that we can do to to keep things clean around us and our spirits? And, and how do we combat this? And, you know, prior to this information that you provided with us tonight, I had, I was under the impression that like, let's just say, for example, I don't know why I'm using myself as this example, but something in my house was, was possessed, right? I would be under the impression that I would have to get a Catholic priest to do an exorcism of the house or something like that. When in fact, my wife and I are, are Christians. We're non-denominational, whatever you want to categorize that as. Um, 
and now kind of understanding throughout this episode what you've talked about that uh, especially when i had asked you know well, why am i not being attacked for any reason which i might get punched in the fucking dick tonight i don't know who knows <laughs> or something like that um it's like red rum red rum we'll keep an eye on him hey just because just because cole found it once doesn't mean that anyone else is going to find it oh, don't worry okay. you're safe so here so here is another thing i wanted to to bring up to you and and i'm glad chris you just mentioned my wife so it's it's so funny so we talk about the Nephilim in the Bible, right? And the the earlier understanding, or I think our earlier understanding of the Nephilim was fallen angels. They mated with uh, the, the women on the earth, which is where we get all these different species of, of their bloodline from this ancient bloodline. And I always made fun of my wife because she is RH negative. She has that particular whatever in her blood that doesn't seem to like human life. And I always go, I always go, Hey, you got that fucking angel blood in you. That's why you have all these, she's these issues. She's in fact, a demon. she's in fact a demon. I mean, um, she's my wife's sister. She is a demon. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're both demons. <laughs> my ex, my ex mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? they must hang out. Every mother-in-law. No, uh, no yeah. but, uh, uh, my question to you is, 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 scientifically have you have you come across anything um along those lines of any kind of bloodline if you will of scientists saying we don't know where this particular bloodline comes from or this chromosomes come from is this something that is so far in the past from like the original necromancers that have their 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 lineage has carried on throughout generations and generations I have not, but what we have had is, um, again, the missing fetus syndrome. That's the bloodline. What we have are people who didn't, like virgins, who've never had sexual intercourse, who would go and, and have some kind of surgery, and they would have um, afterbirth and scar tissue from shit. where they come from. How, how common yeah. is that? It's, it's not very common. It's, um, if it happens once, it's more than enough. <laughs> right, because it's like, oh my God, what, what happened? And yeah, something took place, yeah. That's the incubus. So we have to look at why it is that, um, like, okay, Dr. Carla, Dr. Carla Turner's work again. It's amazing. Um, she would have cases where the abductee was a virgin, and then they would she would be abducted, and they would bring a child to her, and she'd say, what the hell, I'm, or what the heck are there? Um, oh, I've never... I've never had sex. What do you mean is going on? Same, same thing, you know, vice versa, a man who's never had sex or um, even like a homosexual man mm-hmm. who never had sex with a woman. Somehow he's now a father. Oh. Right. And again, you have the role of the midwife. Mm-hmm. See, the midwife was one who helped pull the baby out. Yeah. The exorcist was one who helped any, like, like stopped any other spirit from entering in. So what do we have here? It's a reversal of roles. In a sense. Okay. And here's the thing is like my wife and I have talked about a midwife and I'm, we'll just do it here. We'll just, we'll just make it happen here. <laughs> I got a, a big, nice queen bed right here. Well, all right, honey, get some towels, some water. Here we go. Yeah. Boil some boil some sheets or whatever, right? <laughs> boil some sheets. Go to the hospital, you dummy. <laughs> Go to the hospital. Yeah. Witnessing three of my kids being birthed. Go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a fascinating subject. But one of the things that that goes back to the external soul and them creating bodies that look like us. Um. 
See, it's not just a switching of consciousness. It's switching of bodies. Right. How, uh, That's a whole nother show. Oh, yeah. yeah there's there's going to be a part two of this. Um, how does, how does twins play into that? Is, does twins have anything to do with that? Um, in terms of clones, yes. So, um, again, Dr. Clark Turner's work. Dr. Clark Turner had a case uh, where it was a woman. And she was abducted, was not working with these entities. The entities straight up looked at her, pulled out the trump card and said, look, pointed over in the corner. There was another her laying on a metal slab. And they said, if you do not cooperate with us, we'll kill you and replace you with someone else. And your family will never know the difference. Holy shit. That's like us. That's the plot of us. Right. Exactly right. Which is God. That movie. Yeah. Is terrifying. I would love is it's Jordan Peele, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking to like once once this book is is out because it's out for pre order now. I want to make a movie about this research, and and it could be fiction. That's fine. I don't care. Right, right. I want it to be communicated to the world. But I would. It's a dream of me of mine to to work with him on this. Cool. Yeah, I'm not talking about Constantine, bro. Right. This exactly. is a level of it's it's you know. Uh, but it'd be, it'd be fascinating. But um, that's what they're doing. They're switching out. Oh, my God. You got three extras right here, bud, in this room with you. Um, interesting <sighs> for you to know, <laughs> Chris is a twin. Cool. And uh, you're a clone. Not a clone. Twin. <laughs> Legit- <laughs> Twins, not clones. Yeah. You think of that movie, Multiplicity. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. I like that one. Got a pizza. Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, so um, it's a fascinating subject for sure. This is so awesome, uh, Chris Boy. Anything else? Uh, no, I'm gonna. No, I'm speechless <laughs> after this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go home and pray, and then I'm gonna make love to my wife and make sure there's no incubuses around. <laughs> yeah, what do you I think about room. that, Damon? Huh? Can you get? How you feel about that, boys? <laughs> Pickup line. I just want to make sure there's nothing between us, literally. That's so awesome, um, Nathaniel. Just, just, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was just thank Nathaniel for his time. It's been great, eye opening, and I love your perspective on it. It's, it's been fun, fantastic. Um, Nathaniel, where can people find your work, and where can they find uh, to pre order the skin that crawls? Okay, my pre order link is going to be on my Instagram and in my bio. Um, and so my Instagram is the Nathaniel J Gillis. My website is NJ Gillis. You can see all of my previous guest appearances on shows. Just go look them up and stuff on there. Um, so it's in Jay Gillis, Nathaniel J. Gillis. I'm on Facebook, Nathaniel J. Gillis. So from time to time, I will update my website and I'll put in like some more of my research. Uh, I haven't been doing it lately because I've actually been researching. You know? Right. <laughs> I do one and not the other. Right. Yeah, that's, that's where to find me, man. So um, I'm excited to get it out there. And, um, you know. I am awesome. 100% going to read that when it comes out. I'm like, yeah. uh, okay, ending on a good note. Tomorrow the sun is going to be out, hopefully. So, <laughs> all right, again, man, Nate, thanks so much for your time, dude. This has been absolutely incredible. Just mind blowing the information. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on the show for, for uh, a part two and go more in depth. Um, we're all about getting in that rabbit hole and getting weird. So, would love to. Would love to. Absolutely. So um, that's it for this episode of Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies. I have been Big Country. 
Boy and Chris. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. USA in this house. USA in this house. Donald Trump, Putin, shit. I say, I'm a human being.